We're finishing our series today called Centering Jesus. We've been talking about what it looks like in our faith, in our life, how we read the scriptures when we put Jesus at the center and how that gives perspective to everything else. I want to read to you this passage from Colossians chapter 1 uh, about Jesus, about the Christ. It says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. He existed before anything was created and is supreme over all creation. For through him, God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see, such as thrones, kingdoms, rulers, and authorities in this unseen world. Everything was created through him and for him. He existed before anything else, and he holds all creation together. Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who will rise from the dead. So he is first in everything. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. The beautiful picture the centrality of Jesus, the supremacy of Jesus Christ and all that he has done. That first line says, Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. I love that. You might ask as we go through this series, why centering Jesus? And we've talked about uh, a number of different topics. We've talked about things like politics. We've talked about even the Bible. Why wouldn't we just say that the Bible is the center? And we've realized the Bible's uh, sometimes a very complicated book or collection of books. And Jesus actually gives us uh, the perspective of, of the movement in the Bible and the story of the Bible. Uh, he's the climax of everything. Everything points to Jesus. And so through that lens, it helps us to under, understand uh, the bigger picture of, of the revelation that we get in the Bible. But you might ask as we go through this, why wouldn't we just say uh, we're going to center God? Or why wouldn't we center the Holy Spirit or our spirituality? And I think that's a really good question. And the first thing that I would say to respond to that would be that because uh, God can be for us a very vague idea that we could all actually talk about God and use similar language but be talking about very different things. That God means different things to different people. And so when we come to a passage like this that talks about Jesus the Christ, and it says that he is the visible image of the invisible God, what, what we're understanding in that passage is, is that if we ask the question, what would it look like if God showed up? What would it look like if God didn't just, just inspire a, a book for us to read about him, but, but what if God actually stepped into our world and into our lives in such a way that we could very tangibly see him and experience him? And the writers of scripture here in Colossians, it says that Jesus is the visible image of that which is invisible, the invisible God. How do we know what God is like? Ultimately, we see the invisible God in Jesus, who is the image of that invisible God. And isn't that beautiful? And so we set Jesus at the center of all things. And when we look at Jesus, then we see the character of God. We see the presence of God. We see the work of God in and around us everywhere. Now, Jesus when he was uh, teaching and healing uh, and walking around and he had his disciples following him, uh, a large part of actually all of the Gospels is Jesus trying to explain to his disciples that he's going to be crucified. And the closer they get, he has these conversations with them and they have such a hard time figuring it out because he's supposed to be the Messiah figure. He's supposed to be this great revolutionary leader. And as we've talked about a number of times in this series, if your revolutionary leader gets publicly executed, then your movement is over. And so for them to try and clue in to Jesus telling them that he's going to die, that he's going to go to the cross, uh, really doesn't make sense to them. And he is trying to explain to them something that I think all of us would have a hard time understanding or fathoming that he is going to die, but then will be resurrected, and that that is how the kingdom of God is actually bursting into the world in a very profound way. And as he's teaching them that, he's trying to prepare them for the fact 
that they're not going to see him in the same way anymore. That as they, they're physically walking with him and, and able to touch him and, and talk to him, that after he's crucified and ascended, they'll see him again in bodily form, but then he, he won't be there in the same way. And he's trying to prepare them for what that looks like. And today I want to look at a passage that he's doing that, and he's going to talk about what it looks like for him to say, I'm going to give you my spirit, the Holy Spirit, who will be present with you. And he's trying to explain that though you won't see me like this anymore, my spirit is going to be with you. God's spirit is going to be with you. And this is why we put Jesus at the center, because Jesus shows us the Father. He's the visible image of the invisible God, and he shares with us his spirit and still gives us his presence. That's what I want to talk about today. I think it's what Jesus wanted to prepare his uh, first followers, his first disciples for. And I think what he says to them is very applicable to those of us who would follow Jesus today. And we might ask, uh, how do we see God? How do we know God's presence around us? How do we experience Jesus in our lives? So I'll read from John chapter 16, and this is Jesus talking about the Holy Spirit and some of the things that the Holy Spirit will do and that they should expect the Holy Spirit to do. It says, uh, John 16, verse 8, And when he comes, the Holy Spirit, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment, concerning sin because they do not believe in me, concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So three things that Jesus tells them that the Holy Spirit will convince them of. What does it mean to convince, uh, to convict them of? Uh, I think a great word is convince, as I said, um, to convince and to rethink. Uh, In other language, you might have heard that that's what it is to repent. Repent means to rethink, to, to rethink things in light of what God is doing and what Jesus teaches us. Sometimes I think we assume that repentance uh, is remorse, is saying, uh, oh, I did something bad, and uh, I'm sorry that I did that. And that's certainly part of what repentance is, but I think it's much wider. The original word in Greek, metanoia, it means uh, to think again or to go beyond how you currently think. And so uh, I believe what that means is repentance means not just having remorse, although that's an important part of it. Oh, maybe there are things in my life that need to change. I shouldn't have done that. But then in light of Jesus, in light of the presence of God, how do I think differently about everything? How do I think differently about where God is and what God is doing in my life? How do I, I think differently about what my values are? about what our purpose is, about how we should treat each other. It's this whole big rethinking of life. And I think what Jesus is teaching is the Holy Spirit is going to convict us by convicting the world, convicting us to rethink some important things. So here's the the three things. The Holy Spirit will convince the world to rethink, number one, the trajectory of life and to trust Jesus. So Jesus had said that uh, the Holy Spirit will convict us Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. So Jesus has uh, two parts to each of these three things. He starts with convicting of sin. Now, sin for many of us is a pretty religious word, a word that you might expect to hear at church uh, or in some kind of religious or spiritual setting. Uh, Originally, it wasn't that way. In fact, a lot of the words that have become fairly religious for us in Scripture started out just coming from the culture of the day. One of the concepts of sin in the Scripture is the idea comes from archery, And it comes from the idea of missing the mark. You might have heard that. So you have someone shooting an arrow, and there's a target. They shoot the arrow. They miss. And you go, oh, sin. It's it's the trajectory of the arrow uh, has gone in the wrong direction. So what would that mean in somebody's life? Well, just like an archer who might uh, get his bow and arrow, and and they shoot it. And as it goes, as soon as they kind of let it go, if the aim is off, even a little bit, if the direction is is this way or that way, a little too high, a little too low, there's a little too much strength, not quite enough strength, 
then the trajectory of the arrow is not going to get the arrow to the target. And I think that's pretty accurate for thinking about how uh, sin works in our lives. That what Jesus is saying is we need to rethink the trajectory of our life. And then you pick up on how Jesus thinks that works and how we might recalibrate the direction of our lives. So the Holy Spirit, we would expect to convince us and to rethink the trajectory of our life, maybe to change the aim. And Jesus, in the next little uh, phrase, says, because they don't, they don't believe in me. Better word for believe, to, to translate that might be trust. They don't trust in me. In other words, we might put our trust in all kinds of people, things, ideologies, philosophies. Jesus says the Holy Spirit will convince people to rethink the trajectory of their life, to maybe recalibrate, to aim at a different target because people, they don't trust in me. And Jesus had taught that he is the way, the truth, and the life, that in him is life. And so he would expect that the Holy Spirit will come and help people rethink where their trajectory is going and on the positive to trust that Jesus sets a trajectory for real life, real deep, meaningful life, the life that God has created us to live, the life filled with peace and joy, the life in which the Holy Spirit transforms us more and more um, <clears throat> to return us to the people that we were all created to be. Second one, Jesus says uh, the Holy Spirit will convince the world to rethink righteousness. And he says, uh, he says, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. And I think what the Holy Spirit will convince the world to rethink is empty religion and then to live in the presence of God. When Jesus spoke about righteousness, uh, he at one point referred to some of the people that everybody else would have assumed would have been some of the most righteous people around. He referred to some of the leaders in their religious movement of the time called the Pharisees. Everybody, kind of your average people, would have looked at these people and said, man, they are the super spiritual. They're the leaders. They're the ones that know the Bible. They're the ones that teach the Bible. They're the ones that set the laws, that set the norms, that set the rules. And yet these were the people that Jesus uh, had some of the sharpest criticisms towards. And one of the things that he would teach him is that your religion is empty, is that so much of it is external, so much of it is superficial, so much of it doesn't go deeper. And so all these people are looking towards people like the Pharisees or the scribes and saying, wow, they're righteous. These are the, the religious bigwigs. They must have it all together. People might have even thought, oh, I can't live up to that kind of standard. And Jesus came, and at one point, one of the things that he taught is that if you want to be righteous, your righteousness actually has to surpass that of the Pharisees. That if they're your standard and you think, wow, they are so, so righteous, you actually have to go even further. You have to experience transformation. In comparison, so what he says here, Jesus says, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer, which might initially sound like Jesus is saying, I'm leaving you on your own, and I'm going to the Father. I'm going to be with God, and the Spirit's going to convict you of righteousness. And so good luck trying to be righteous, and good luck trying to be more righteous than all the people that you think are really righteous. But remember what Jesus is doing in this passage. It's not at all what he's teaching. He's teaching them that he is going to give them, leave with them the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God will be with them. So what he's saying is that Spirit's going to convict you of a real righteousness, what real righteousness looks like. 
Not this, this fake stuff, not this uh, surface stuff, not the, oh, all the religious stuff, I can make it look good to the people on the outside, not the building up of laws and rules that help some of us rise to the top but hold other people back, not the stuff that becomes hypocritical religion, all of that, forget that. Jesus is saying the Holy Spirit will convict us of the standard that God has for righteousness, and he says, you're going to see me no longer. But what does that mean? Why? Because the Holy Spirit will be with you, because the presence of God will be with you, and that that is what's transformational. Not you thinking that you can get your act together and follow all the rules and do all the stuff, but because God's presence is with you. I am going to the Father, but I'm leaving you my Holy Spirit. This is Jesus' proclamation of the kingdom of heaven. When we hear kingdom of heaven, we talked about this last week, the kingdom of heaven, which is uh, the will of God, the presence of God, Jesus announcing uh, that God is reigning and is all around us. Sometimes I think when we hear the kingdom of heaven, or we even hear Jesus saying, I'm going to the Father, we think that's someplace way far away. And we might even feel like God is so distant. Is God here? Is God listening? How do I get his attention? Where is heaven? And where will we find God? But the Jewish... uh, concept of, of heaven. Actually, the word heaven, it's, it's uh, dual, which means it has a couple of meanings. Um, so it, it's the heavens, the kingdom of the heavens. And much of it means the atmosphere or the air all around us. The kingdom of the heavens, the kingdom of the God who is present all around us, everywhere we go, in everything that we do, he is now available for you to become aware of his presence, of what he's doing, of his acts in the world. The kingdom of God bursting into the world and into our lives is all around us. When Jesus says the Holy Spirit will convict us of his righteousness because I'm going to the Father, doesn't mean I'm, I'm gone and you're on your own. It means the exact opposite, that I'm here to tell you that God's presence is all around you. His Holy Spirit will not leave you. You can tap into his presence, his power in this world. And so the Holy Spirit convicts us of empty religion and allows us to live in the presence of God. The real deal, this ongoing communication, this this ongoing experiential reality that God is all around us and that God is in us. And as we trust in Jesus, number one, and accept his Holy Spirit, accept his grace, forgiveness, that God is as close as God could be. And then third, Jesus said the Holy Spirit will convict us concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. The Holy Spirit will convince the world to rethink false appearances and to embrace the truth. And when I say the truth... um, Jesus here, actually, he talks about the judgment, the ruler of this world, the one who tells lies about what reality is. Uh, Jesus had taught people earlier in the book of John. He had taught them to stop judging by appearances, by things that are superficial, and rather to make right judgments, uh, to not be fooled or taken in by the one who lies to us. And as we see the judgment of Jesus' world upon Jesus, it was to condemn him and to crucify him. His political uh, environment, his religious environment, the leadership saw, saw him as a threat. Their judgment was, we need to convict, condemn, and crucify Jesus. It's an evil and violent and antagonistic way of life. We've talked about this in uh, opposition to the, the kingdom of God. By contrast, Jesus invites uh, his followers to embrace what is true. 
And what he's talking about when he talks about truth is I don't think just propositional truth, although that's important. Like what are the list or doctrines or, or things that are important for us? Um, but Jesus, uh, he didn't just say, here are the things to believe. Here's a list of doctrines. Here's, you know, we just go through the Bible and, and pick out a few principles. Again, that's not bad. We do that all the time. We need to do that. But when Jesus is actually talking about what is true, ultimately Jesus points to himself. He says, I am the truth. I I am reality. I am trustworthy. And really what he's saying here is what we've been talking about in this entire series. Jesus is saying that he himself is the revelation of God. He is the the visible image of the invisible God. He shows us what God has looked like. We come back once again uh, to asking what would it look like if God shows up and the gospel stories and the New Testament writers proclaim to us, we see that in Jesus. And Jesus is now saying to his followers, if you have seen that love, the love of God, love himself lived out in me, you will now experience by my Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit will convict you to change the way you think about all of these things. So in Jesus, we see the image of the invisible God. Jesus shows us the Father and shares with us his Spirit. D.A. Carson writes on this passage uh, and the revelation of Jesus and says, We are to understand that Jesus is the nodal point of revelation, God's culminating self-disclosure, God's final self-expression, God's word. All antecedent revelation is pointed toward him and reaches his climax in him. Jesus becomes the center of it all. And when he does, he gives us perspective and a lens to understand everything else. It's beautiful. So as we come to the end of this series, um, we've got to ask the question, well, what's next? What do we as a church family do with all of that? Uh, How do we move forward? And in some areas, maybe we're strong and in some uh, not as strong. And uh, I want to talk a little bit about uh, how we interact with the Holy Spirit and some things that have just become very important and convicted us as leaders, as church, uh, and and some things that we've been talking about of the future. Because uh, as Jesus says to us, here's my spirit and here's some of the things God's spirit should and will do uh, in your lives as you become more aware of his presence. We want to make sure that that's very intentional as a church. So next week, we have a really important service that I want to make sure you come and are part of. And as I say that, I need to tell you, I will not be here to take part of that. (laughs) Do what I say, not what I... What is it? Do what I say, not what I do. That's bad advice. But here's why I'm not here. Um... My wife, Brian, and I have been invited with uh, Cliff and Arlene Martz, uh, who uh, have founded Ryan's Rays to go down to Guatemala. If you were with us at the end of the year, we did uh, some fundraising for a few projects. And one of them was to help support what they're doing, this incredible family organization, uh, to, to fund an entire care center in Guatemala, serving kids uh, who have special needs, high needs, uh, in a place where there's not a lot of resources for them. Uh, some of these people who just really need the basic necessities of life, as well as medical care, as well as psychological and emotional care, uh, as well as people who can really love them as they provide some of the basics of life. And so next weekend, uh, Brian and I are going down with them. Uh, we're going to do a bit of a groundbreaking ceremony. Uh, We want to meet some of the people. We want to see firsthand what they do uh, and how things are going. And uh, we're going to come back and we're going to let you know how that's going. And we're going to share some pictures and stories and report back to you because we're so grateful for everybody who generously gave to that project. And as we told you back in December, we want to make sure that we are kind of walking through with this project as we have the privilege to be part of it uh, and and to see it through uh, and, and whatever part we can play 
in, in that, uh, that we could support and help these amazing people who are doing amazing things. And it's just, it's a, it's a gift for us to be a small part of it. So that's where I'm going to be next week. But we want to talk more about what it looks like for us to be an intentionally prayerful church, to be um, a, a people who are committed to the presence of God, to being aware of the presence of God, and to making sure that everything meaningful that we do is fueled and empowered by what God is doing. And so uh, back in January, uh, on New Year's Day, we put a video out and John and Christy Latta um, offered us a time as a church family to just reflect and to pray and to listen to what God might be telling you, us, as a community, about uh, where God might be leading us as a church. And what we wanted to do uh, was to open that up and see if there are things that uh, seem to be common themes among us that God might be speaking to us about uh, where we are headed. So here's some of the things that we heard that uh, were themes that were repetitive or came up uh, a bunch of times. So thank you for those of you who did this and, and who responded and let us know. Some of the phrases or words, and you'll see as I list them, some of the things that we feel like God's just confirming that he's putting on the hearts of not just one or not just one leader, but a number of us here at Westside. Here's some of the phrases and words. Building a foundation, grounding, roots that go deep and wide, listening to God's voice. Building a culture of prayer. To be known as a house of prayer. Isn't that beautiful? Do you see how all those things, just, just you know, having that strong foundation that's built in what God's Spirit is doing and that we're tuning in and listening for identity, who we are, before we do anything, that we need these strong, deep, wide roots. And then the rest of them, which I think is such a beautiful compliment, some, some great similarities to be a people whose love leads to community, have an identity and calling as people of love, that have a defined mission to help the disadvantaged in our community, who love and support their surrounding neighborhood. And we heard a number of people talking about our city and specifically our neighborhood. And when I read some of those things and they all came out, I thought, what a beautiful thing for God to speak to us, that we might have this strong foundation with deep roots, grounding, of God's presence and being aware of his spirit. When we talked about today, Jesus offers us his Holy Spirit that we would tune in to how he would convict us to rethink our lives and our church. And then to be a people who take that presence of God and as he empowers us to really in practical ways love the people around us. If that were true of our church, what a beautiful thing. When you want to be a part of that, a deep spiritual uh, people living in the presence of God who love the people around them well, love each other well. John 14, a couple of chapters before uh, the one that we read here from Jesus, Jesus again was teaching to his disciples and again priming them for the fact that he wasn't going to be around the way that he had been, but his spirit would be with them. And just listen to what he says to his first followers. And maybe as we think about some of these things, um, to think about what it would look like in our life. Sorry, I skipped over what next week is. Next week, we're going to talk about prayer. We're going to talk about what it would look like to deepen our prayer. We're going to have actually a time of question and answer. So if you have questions about prayer or how to hear from God or struggles or obstacles that maybe are very common to many people, there's going to be an opportunity uh, for that. But we're going to have... Uh, 
uh, Christy Latta and Steve Cox, who are some of our, our uh, great leaders here at, at Westside. Uh, they're going to talk a little bit about their own prayer lives and share a little bit about what um, your prayer life uh, could look like, might look like now, some of their struggles along the way, some of the things that they've learned. And I think you're going to find as you listen to them, you're going to go, oh, that sounds familiar to my life. The thing that you've been struggling with, the thing that you went through, the thing that you learned, that's what I needed. That's what I'm going through. And so uh, our executive pastor, John, is going to walk us through that. Again, there'll be a time if you have questions to ask some questions. And what we're hoping is, this isn't just one service, but out of this, we're just going to launch an intentionality of what it looks like to be a praying people, to be uh, becoming a house of prayer, to have that deep grounding in all that we do. And we're going to follow that up. You'll hear about it next week with some exciting opportunities to learn more and to experience more. And so for wherever you're at with prayer life, even if you go, man, I don't, I don't pray, or maybe you go, I try and pray and I'm really bad at it, or I feel like I'm bad at it, or maybe it's an area of strength for all of us. This is going to be a really, really good Sunday. I wish I was here, but I'll be in Guatemala, uh, but we'll come back and, and we'll continue to work on this and have some opportunities uh, for uh, what this looks like as a church. And we're just so excited um, to imagine what it will be like as we just become more intentional about hearing from God, listening to God, communing with God, and living in his presence. I hope that excites you. Here's why. Here's what Jesus said in John chapter 14. He said, Believe me that I am in the Father, and the Father is in me. Otherwise, believe because of the works themselves. He says, look at what I'm doing as he heals people and casts out demons and all sorts of things. Truly, truly, I say to you, the one who believes in me, get this, the one who trusts in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do. Because I am going to the Father, and whatever you ask in my name, this I will do so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Jesus says to his followers, for those of you who ask in my name, for those of you who bask in the presence of God, you've seen these, these miracles, you've th- seen things that, that are hard for you to understand, but you need to know that in God's presence, you can do even greater things. Do you believe that? Just imagine what it might look like as, as we really trust in Jesus and in his spirit. What it would look like for Jesus to do through his spirit. Things that are even greater, things that we couldn't even imagine and that we could never do without him. And may it be so of the people of Westside Church in Jesus' name. So Heavenly Father, we pray, um, we pray today that your Holy Spirit would press these things into our hearts and our minds. We pray that you would help us uh, to focus on Jesus. And as we see Jesus, that you would give us all that you have for us. We thank you for his life. We thank you for his death. And we thank you for his resurrection. We thank you that he has given us your spirit and that you are with us here today. Open our eyes to see who you are and what you're doing in Jesus' name.